Hello, welcome to our Friday podcast. My name is Jeff Harris, District and County Superintendent of Schools. Um, in what we call coffee and conversation, we take about 20 minutes and we have a conversation about issues that are important to our community, to our families, to our students, to our staff. And um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about attendance and what that means on a little bit of a different front with some different folks with us. Um, so some folks we've had before, uh, Chief Lonnie Raymond. Uh, Lonnie, you're Chief of Probation for Del Norte County. Welcome. Thank you. Randy Fugate. Randy is the principal at Community School and also oversees our School Attendance Review, or SARB board. Glad to be here. And then uh, also joining us today for the first time is uh, Probation Officer and our uh, acting also as Truancy Officer, David Hernandez. Thank you for the invite. And District Attorney Catherine Mix. Thank you for having me. Hey, well, thank you guys for being here. So, um, again, you know, just we don't have a lot of time to really kind of dig in a lot, but I just kind of want to start off the conversation talking about the fact that Del Norte County views the use of truancy, probation, and the district attorney very differently in our attendance. Um, I think our attendance protocols. Um, I know around the state, a lot of counties are talking about, you know, taking police officers, taking truancy officers out, um, kind of not working with district attorneys, insulating the school a little bit more from kind of the legal or the school to um, prison pipeline, I think, you know, was kind of a popular term that was out a couple of years ago. That's not how we see it. So, you know, Lonnie, I'm going to start with you because I have to give you some probably all the credit for where we are right now. Um, we did have probation officers that were working at community school a few years ago. They were being used in a very different way. I think really being used as case officers, we, we eliminated that. And for about a year, we didn't have anybody in the school. Um, but then you came forward with an idea of bringing somebody in to really focus on prevention of chronic absenteeism and early intervention with families. So what kind of led to that idea or that thought? Well, like any good idea, it wasn't mine. <laughs> um, it, it started with uh, our former juvenile services supervisor, uh, Randy. Uh, Randy. Sorry, Randy. I'd like the credit for this one, but you I would. can't take it. Yeah. Yeah. Ramsey uh, Williamson. And, um, you know, he was working in juvenile services for quite a while and uh, working with other counties and coordinating and connecting with what other uh, probation departments, what other school districts, what other counties and communities were doing. And similarly to all of those, we see a huge issue in education in our population that we deal with mm -hmm. on the, the juvenile criminal side. And, you know, one of the ways that we can try and address that and help those kids that we see down the line is to encourage their participation in education in school way upstream. And that helps families too. Overall, that's going to help our, our community. And, um, you know, one of the roles I play is sitting on the first five commission where we're talking about how we can help families and kids. Uh, the read 23 campaign, uh, came out a few years ago and, and that was a component of it and that was on my mind. And so, um, from what Ramsey was bringing, uh, the information that he had gotten and his vision of what we could do, it, it seemed to all click into place at the right time. And uh, we approached the district and worked with the county and, and here we are. Yeah, no, that's great. And and you mentioned First Five. So it's not just the school that you work with. I see you quite often because we're both on the First Five board. We're also on the Family Resource Board. Um, 
So I know that this means a lot to you. And you've got you've got I've children got, got that are in the system. Own. That's yeah. right. That's right. And so, you know, Dave, you you came on and into this new role, right? Trying to kind of think what this would look like. And I remember us having conversations early on. It's like, all right, so let's kind of reimagine this whole piece. How has it been? I mean, you know, you've got that regular role as a probation officer. Um, as we as we kind of talk about this prevention early intervention piece, what does that feel like to you on a daily basis? Because it's not, you know, I, I think there's a stereotype about probation that's out there. It's about, you know, everybody vested up, all in black, kicking in doors. <laughs> you know, you get those images from, you know, whatever movie or TV show you're watching. Um that's not what you do. Matter of fact, you're a huge service, but what does it feel like on a day-to-day basis doing your job? Um, there's a lot of pressure involved with it because you're trying to break that stigma. Um, not every family is as receptive the first time that you meet out with them. Um, and so we've adjusted my uniform to kind of meet those, those needs of just breaking the ties of the black vest and everything that goes out with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think people are a lot more receptive now than they were when I first started. And I've had the input of everyone here to kind of create this position and mold it into something productive. And I've reached out to different agencies in the in the state and and made it something that's unique to I think our county. Mm -hmm. um, but I think people are more receptive now. They are asking for help, and it's not even just them. It's the kids that I see at school that are you know, can I talk to you? And uh, you know, even for friends asking how how we can assist them with um, with different struggles that they. So that's pretty cool. I mean, because you're making phone calls, you're seeing kids in person and, and you're doing home visits too, right? Yeah. The primar primarily this year, it's, uh, it's a lot more home visits just because we understand that everyone's having issues with uh, uh, telephonic communication or Wi-Fi access. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do a lot more home visits just to see how things are going and to offer these uh, supports uh, that we have in the community. That's good. And, and I think it's really important that you said that it's kind of unique to our county, right? There are 58 counties in the state of California. I don't think we see this kind of relationship and this kind of support for families in the system that we've created almost anywhere else. Um, but then, Katie, that brings you into the into the mix. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, your role as district attorney usually would be if we have a family who is um, – not engaging in compulsory attendance. That's typically when a truancy officer would go to the house. Um, and quite honestly, I have to, a lot of our community thinks that's all probation or truancy wants to do, right, is haul people away. But in 26 years uh, working in public education, I think we've only had, I've only seen one parent actually taken for adjudication, right, or taken into custody for for violating compulsory attendance. But, um, I do know that there are families who do go into a courtroom. Um, but that's not what you want either. Right. Not at all. Not at all. Not so, and we've had a lot of those conversations. So talk a little bit from your perspective, what, what your philosophy is kind of going into this and whether or not this is something, this is something. So from our perspective, it's pretty unique from your perspective as a district attorney, is it unique to you too? Uh, yes. When I was elected, I took a look at what I could do in the community to make a difference and not just prosecute the crimes that come through my office, but to really dig in and see if there's something that I could do with my position. And truancy popped up. Uh, I have a young child and started hearing more about the uh, problems with attendance in our community and was really shocked 
at the number of children who are chronically absent. And I see the effect of that in court. Mm -hmm. I see these generations of families that are really struggling and the kids in the juvenile delinquency system who can't read because they missed so much school in the early um, years of their education. And being a district attorney, I have an opportunity to use my office and the law really to try and force some compliance. Because if families aren't willing to comply with um, letters or urgings from teachers or school administrators, I have the opportunity to use my power to try and get compliance. And for the last two years, I've been active with SARB. I attend the SARB meetings, the SARB hearings. I'm there. I meet the families. I hear their struggles and also work with our community partners to try and come up with solutions. Is it a lack of transportation? Uh, What is the problem? What is the barrier for getting these kids to school? And my goal really is not to incarcerate a parent. Right. It's to get their children in school. And that is my only goal. Yeah. Well, and I have to tell you that that's pretty amazing. I, because I have sat on SAR boards, um, in, um, the Southern Central Valley in the Central Valley, and you're the only district attorney that has ever sat on a SAR board. So I think that's pretty amazing in, in and of itself. So I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. And I'm just going to go back to, I mentioned Lonnie has kids in the system. I think everybody around the table has or had children that have gone mm-hmm. through schools here in Del Hort. So, um, you know, we've all got a, um, some skin in the game. So um, just kind of in thinking about COVID and everything that's been going on over the past few months, you guys have heard of that, right? It's a, it, <laughs> I heard it's something important. Yeah. yeah it's, um, how Randy, from, from a, from a school administrator view, I'll ask you to kind of start off on how is it, how have you seen it impacting kids? And then, then, um, uh, Lonnie, Dave, Katie, you guys can just kind of jump in and say from your perspective, what, what have you seen? Because prior to going into COVID, our district did a lot with chronic absenteeism. We had some really significant shifts in getting kids into school in some very positive ways. We saw a lot of really, really productive efforts. COVID stopped those, I think, traditional things, and they've mm-hmm. put us in a different space. So what have you seen, Randy? You're talking about uh, just impacts of COVID on schooling and attendance and yeah, that yeah. attitudes, things like that. So, uh, you know, this started back in March. Uh, and I think immediately what we saw was uh, a loss of extracurriculars. Uh, the, obviously, the school thing was an issue, but but what you had was students who were involved and engaged in school for all the other reasons as well as academics, the, the clubs, the dances, the music department, the CTE programs, things like that. They no longer had access in in a in a way they were experiencing it before. So the performances had dropped back, and and I'm speaking really from the high school perspective. That's where I was coming right. from. So. So you, you naturally, when you have that, there's a, you know, there's a loss and there's a loss in a, in a kid's life and there's a loss even in the family's lives of what their students were involved in. So, um, you know, we, I think we saw kids really missing school. We saw, we saw kids missing, um, that meaningful piece of what they were doing in addition to schooling. So, uh, as we came into this school year and we had all anticipated that we'd actually start in person, that was sort of the hope and the plan. And when we started back with distance learning, it was sort of that, 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 oh man, here we are again. We still can't engage. So um, I think in conversations with kids, um, we noticed, and now I'm in a new site, um, what we noticed was really, really difficult to get the kids motivated 
from a from I'm still in my my bedroom or my living room. Nothing's changed, but now it's school time, and it's, there's a mindset there. It's hard to how do I engage myself? And and especially if you're in a family that might have three or four students in the same room trying to figure out how to engage. There's some of that, and so you have. I, I think we've seen we've seen cases where our students are more depressed or more down, um, not not you know ready to answer the call for school, so to speak. And so, um, as we've been able to bring students back on board, big differences. And where I'm at a community school, so I've got I've got students there about four days a week in person, and um, you know they're laughing, they're enjoying their space. We're we're able to have real interactions with them, real conversations about what's happening in their lives and, and what's their challenge, what are their challenges, things like that. So I've kind of seen the gamut from when we started last spring, where it sort of fell off to the beginning where we weren't ready yet to coming back slowly, incrementally where we are now. Uh, we're heading into the holidays. We're in the holidays now. We've seen some some things from Thanksgiving. We're a little concerned about what Christmas is going to look like and winter break following when we come back and things like that. So um, yeah, I think from from that perspective, that's those are the things that I've noticed and I'm seeing. So for everybody else, I mean, what, what, what have you seen? You know, we, uh, and again, we were kind of normal. Then we went into this whole shutdown piece. Um, and now we're, we're trying to get people back to some sense of you. Yes, you have to come to school because March through June, it was kind of like a high quality educational opportunity. It wasn't really school. <laughs> now we're, we're mandated for four hours a day. We have live daily interaction for kids that are on DL or not in person on the cohort that day. We have students that are attending in person. We have other kids that are only distance learning. We have some kids that are asking for independent study, which is frequent live interaction, not daily live interaction. Uh, it's an extremely complex system. Um, so as you're working with youth, as you're reaching out to community partners, how is it feeling to you? Complicated. <laughs> I mean, we're, yeah, we're all in this because we wanted to remove barriers from, from families and kids being in school. Mm -hmm. That's why we're here. It doesn't matter if we wear a badge. It doesn't matter if we're an attorney. It doesn't matter if we're a school administrator, a, a teacher. A, you know, we're in this because we want kids to be in school because that offers an opportunity for those kids to have a different legacy down the line than they may have received in the past. And so we've been all about removing barriers and uh, you could call COVID a barrier, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. The response to, to COVID, how it's been handled on a global, national, state and local mm -hmm. level, that has introduced a whole lot more barriers. Right. The school district is trying to figure out ways to overcome that. The probation department's trying to figure out ways to overcome that. Uh, that. The DAs and, and around this table, it's focused on how do we get, get kids in school. Um, and so it, it, like David said earlier, you know, he can speak to it better, but he's done a lot more house calls and uh, than we've done in the past just because those he can best address some of those barriers that way. Yeah, I'm. Um, I see a lot more at the houses, and people are more comfortable in their home. Um, it's different when they go to the SAR board meeting, and there's people, a bunch of strangers uh, looking back at them. But if they have a friendly face or someone that they've encountered before, it's a lot easier for them to accept help uh, when it's offered. Mm -hmm. um, and keeping kids motivated to going to school, you know, I always try to tell my kids go in there and try and try and get some numbers because it's important to socialize while they're there and get those extracurricular, you know, as they're not there anymore, um, reaching out to their friends via Zoom meeting or even playing games after they've gotten their schoolwork done um, does keep them motivated. And so 
Um, it's important for them to go back and socialize because they're <laughs> my kids love to talk to other people. <laughs> well, and that's the important thing, right, David? Go play video games with your friends after you get your homework yes, done. Yes, after you get your, your homework done. Um, <laughs> but that's the stuff that they miss out on and they, they get sad about it. And so it's a joy for them to actually go back to school when it's when it's offered to them. Um, so they're they're always up in the morning ready to go because they want to see their friends and then play games after they're done with the schoolwork. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a lot of complicated complicated things. And then some of the families are just having hardships with transportation, which the schools provided bus services. And some kids don't really only got their meals from from school, and we've addressed that as well. Um, and so uh, some of the kids that are at risk or or struggling, um, some of our homeless youth uh, with transportation, we've been working on trying to provide bikes for them. So um, there's a lot of resources out there that we're trying to create as we go along. Yeah, that's great. Well, and and Katie, have have you seen this really impact what's been going on at the court yet? I, I know that that, and I don't want to get anything particular, but I know that when we deal with a lot of family issues and everything else, one of the things that the judges are really interested a lot of times is school attendance, right? Um, what has the impact of of this look like with families? Uh, there have been uh, juveniles on probation who have been uh, violated for attendance and just helping the judges understand uh, what these new attendance codes mean and uh, how they should be trying to hold these kids accountable mm-hmm. uh, when they have a probation term to attend school, but school looks completely different than it ever has. Uh, so trying to educate ourselves as the prosecutors trying to uh, educate the judge uh, has been um, one thing. We have not uh, filed any uh, SARB-related uh, criminal cases at all. Um, but uh, it's definitely been different trying to uh, convince the judge that a probationer isn't following their terms when the judge doesn't understand what those terms are. Well, well I think <laughs> we, we made it a little tricky this year. <laughs> <laughs> we thought, let's see what it looks like. Well, because I, I think if, if folks who listen to the podcast aren't already aware, we don't just do present and absent anymore or excused, unexcused. Um, it is now F L K one four. It can also be an absence or an illness, or I think there are about 12 different codes that it can be. It, it, it is a complete flow chart. And, uh, and, and it's only in effect for this year because the law was only for the school year of 2021. So um, we're trying to figure all that out. And, and I think it says a lot that we haven't, because we do. I mean, right now, I'll tell you, we've got a lot of kids that are absent. Our average daily attendance rate is between 80 and 85%. So we've got 10 to 15% absenteeism, or 20 to uh, 15 to 20% absenteeism every day. I was an English teacher. Every day. Um, and and I think we're seeing some, uh, most of our kids who are absent right now, we're seeing the absences racking up on the distance learning part. Um because like Randy, you said earlier, I think a lot of our kids see coming back to school and Dave, you'd said it, that's their social time. That's mm-hmm. that time that they can get out. They can engage, they can do, but when they're at home, that's a different thing, right? I mean, that's, that's hard. And people with multiple kids, you know, all trying to get them online at the same time. And maybe if their wife is shoddy, it's, it's really hard to do that. And, uh, you know, but there are resources out there for you. There are supports there for you. And that's all just a phone call away. So David, you said those, those resources are just a phone call away. What are some of the resources that families have access to? 
Um, anything's really internet-based. Uh, all the school sites are offering um, supports and they're doing it online. Um, but some of the ones that we offer in town are like the wraparound services, um, the first five, um, transportation, any of those you can access online. Or, but um, if you have trouble you know, locating those, then you can give me a call at, at my office, which is the 707-464-7215, extension 1725, and I'll help you get whatever resource you, you may need. And just if, if families haven't checked them out either, there's also the www.dnusd.org slash families website that has a lot of great information on there. It's got a lot of information not only about um, uh, protective equipment, actions you can take to stay healthy, but also how to connect with folks um, and connect with services. And then as of January 4th, um, here's just a little teaser. We have a brand new website that we're putting out in collaboration with all of our local healthcare providers, job providers, um, uh, social services, everything that will be called Connect Del Norte. And you can go into Connect Del Norte, you can click on needs, you can click on services, and it will direct you um, to a wide variety of our local partners, tribal, governmental, private, where you can get services and supports that you need. So um, remember, you can go online, dnusd.org. You can give us a call, 464-6141. We'll direct you the right way. Or Dave, what was your number again? Uh, 707-464-7215, extension 1725. Perfect. So I um, want to thank you for, for listening. This ends kind of the first part of this podcast. This is part A. Um, we'd like you to join us for part B. In part B, we're going to talk about what happens when supports don't work. What happens if a family doesn't take us up on the offer of support and and early intervention or preventative services. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about SARB and we'll talk about what the ramifications of that can be. So um, thank you all for joining us for the first part and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.